Now when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea. So again, that appears to be where he had gone to to do this work of ministry during the, his first year. And he went away into Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So there's, there's a whole series of chronology and, and geography that happened as Jesus moves from Judea down back down to Galilee. Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. And if you'll stand with me, I'll be reading verses 12 through 17, Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Please stand and we'll read those verses together as really we begin a a new section of the book of Matthew, a new section in the life of Christ as we trace that through his earthly ministry and to the cross. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who are sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Please be seated. I think that we would all agree that the world is a dark place. Lies triumph over truth. War triumphs over peace. Ignorance triumphs over knowledge. Oppression triumphs over freedom. And in the end, death always triumphs over life. And so really the two great questions which cry out for answer in our day are this. What is the nature of this darkness and how can this darkness be dispelled? And the world has all kinds of solutions because they recognize that there is darkness. And so the world says we can solve this through better government. Better governmental systems and programs will enable us to overcome this darkness that we see. Well, some would say better education. So we have all kinds of new standards for education here and around the world, and that will fix our problems. How about better stewardship of resources? So we will no longer be destroying the earth with our global warming and we'll learn how to have our carbon, uh, carbon dollars and all the things that we will do to somehow fix the problems with our environment. Well, maybe it's better medicine, so we'll constantly increase and grow in our ability to, to, to defeat disease and to have greater cleanliness and all of those things. And then probably most trumpeted in our world today is better tolerance. Certainly that will solve all of our problems. If we'll just get along, if we'll just tolerate the things that are out there, then we won't have this darkness. We won't have these wars. We won't have these problems. 
But of course, the huge problem with the world trying to solve the problem of its darkness is that it can't provide its own solution. It's part of the darkness. And everything that it does, everything the world system seeks to do really flows out of the very darkness itself. Darkness has no resource by which to illuminate itself. Thus, we need above all things a source of light, a source which does not and cannot originate in this world. Jesus is that source. So what we'll see this morning is that the whole world lives in a deadly darkness that can only be dispelled through the ministry of, preaching of, and belief in the one true source of life and light, Jesus the Messiah. Again, the whole world lives in a deadly darkness that can only be dispelled through the ministry of, the preaching of, and the belief in the one true source of light, Jesus the Messiah. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, We've already, essentially, we're, we're turning the corner in the life of Christ where kind of all of the beginning stages, first his life, we've seen the lineage of the king, that he is the son of Abraham, the, excuse me, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Messiah. We've seen the birth of the king, that he was born in Bethlehem, a virgin birth according to the scriptures. We've seen the worship of the king, that the magi come from the east, and those who are not even part of Israel bow down and worship him before any of the nation of Israel chooses to do so. We've seen the danger to the king as Herod seeks at the very beginning to eliminate Christ, to eliminate his rival, he believes, to the throne, and he flees to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. We've seen the herald of the king. We began that in chapter 3 as John the Baptist comes and and prepares the way for Jesus' ministry. He comes preaching the message, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we saw the inauguration of the king. That is where he begins or or really he, he gets prepared for his ministry through baptism. He associates himself with the sinful people by going through baptism, which was for sinners, he being without sin, and yet again, identifying with them at the very beginning of his ministry. And then as he prepares further in chapter 4, verse 1, we saw that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he goes through the temptation, and really, in many ways, that's a picture of his ability as the second Adam to overcome the temptation that the first Adam didn't. And so Adam was tempted by the devil, and he fell. Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he triumphed. And so at the very outset of his ministry, he demonstrates his ability, his deity, his humanity, everything that he is as a son of God. He demonstrates that in overcoming the the three temptations that Satan throws at him. And we left it in verse 11, that the devil left him, and, and, and behold, angels came and began ministering to him. So the devil leaves, at least his physical presence, And angels come and minister to Christ. And now, in verse 12, Matthew really begins chronicling the ministry of Jesus. All this has been preparation up to this point. So then, verse 12, if you drop your eyes down to the text, he says, Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody. Now, between verse 11 and verse 12, there is a whole series of questions for us. Wait a minute. What happened to John the Baptist? Why is he now in custody? Uh, he says, now when Jesus heard. How, how much further down the road is this? When does this actually happen? Is this direct in chronology that is right after? Well, remember that in the book of Matthew, we're going to be constantly having to determine, does this come in more of a thematic order where the next thing that happens is part of Matthew's overall theme of unfolding Jesus as king? Or does it happen in a directly chronological order where, and, and, and I guess a secondary question would be, how close in chronological order does it come if it is that? I would say this is in chronological order. It happens after the temptation, but there appears to be about a year's worth of time between verse 11 and verse 12. And it's interesting to note that all three of the synoptic gospels begin at this point. 
where Jesus enters into Galilee. But you might already be wondering, wait a minute, I thought he already was in Galilee. I thought he was in Nazareth, right? Which is, it's not directly in Galilee itself, but it's close to that. So where has he been? And again, when was John taken into custody? So let's try to answer a few of these questions as we move through. And I'll be focusing this morning a lot on setting up the geography and the history, the the time frame, the chronology of what Jesus is doing, because that's what Matthew does. And so we'll spend some time doing that because all throughout the discussion of his ministry, the places that he moves, the various regions that he goes to are a primary part of Matthew's story. So we'll try to get a picture of where he is, where he's been, where he's going, both historically and geographically and chronologically. So first, let's look at the fact that the king's herald is in prison. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody... Now, we're going to learn more about this, so I'm not going to spend much time on, on this particular incident, right? but we, we learn from Mark chapter 6, verse 17, it says, when Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. And then Luke 3.20 says, Herod also added this, that is to his sins, that he locked John up in prison. And actually, Matthew will, he will go into detail about this in Matthew chapter 14. But what we know, what we know from, from the rest of the Gospels is that John the Baptist was calling Herod to repentance. He came preaching the message, chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Herod became part of that message as John was essentially telling Herod, repent, because he was in an, essentially, he had stolen his brother's wife. She was, she, she, had, she had gone over to him, and so he's living in this kind of incestuous relationship with her, and he is calling her his queen, as it were. And so John calls him out and says, you need to repent. Now, much, much has been made of that in the political arena and, and uh, that John was entering into politics. No, that could, couldn't be further from the case. Simply, as John was proclaiming to everyone to repent, that the political situation and the political leaders came under the same message, and they do today. Our message to political leaders is not necessarily, it's not, change your politics, change your party, move from Republican to Democrat or Independent or Libertarian, Some, you know, change your policies or ideas. Our one and only message to everyone without exception is repent. That's what they need. That will change all their policies. That will change their party, as it were. That will change their disposition towards believers, towards the world in general. The message is always repent. And we're not afraid to proclaim that from the pulpit. So I'm more than happy to proclaim to our political leaders that they need to repent. They need to come to know Christ. Now, right now, that's not causing a lot of problems, but it will. Just like it did for John, because when it ultimately boils down to it, the one thing that unbelievers refuse to do is what? Repent. You can get them to change policies, you can get them to do all kinds of other things, but they will not, they cannot, apart from the power of God through the word of God, repent. Well, this is what John has done. He called Herod to repentance. Apparently, Herod would come, would have John come before him and preach. And and John would come and, and call him to repentance when he did that. And so Herod threw him into prison. Again, this would be about a year after, after this period of time where Jesus was baptized by John and then moved right into, we believe, chronologically into the temptation. So John had been baptizing and ministering for about another year near the Jordan, gaining lots of followers. But then what we find, we'll see in this, in this year period between verse 11 and verse 12, is that Jesus, really his disciples had begun to baptize as well. And it began to be that Jesus and his disciples, or his disciples, were baptizing more than John. So there's this change of the guard in relationship to their ministry where Jesus is then attracting and drawing more people during this year. John's ministry is waning, but of course, that's exactly what he said he wanted to happen. I must decrease, he must increase. 
And then at the end of that period of time, the end of that year, as Jesus' ministry is beginning, to get, uh, is beginning to get going, John gets thrown into prison. And at that time, Jesus withdraws into Galilee, and that's where John begins the story. That's where Matthew begins the story. That's where Luke and Mark also begin that story. Now, why would he change locations then when he hears this? Apparently, Jesus is ministering in Judea when he hears it. He has been, during this period of time, during this year, he has been to Jerusalem, he has cleansed the temple, he has talked with Nicodemus, and, then, and so he's in, in the realm or in the region of Judea, which we'll look at in just a moment, and when he hears this news, he decides, he believes, he, he, in, in the sovereign plan of God, it is time to change his location, to change his ministry, and really it seems, Matthew holds this out, the synoptics hold it out, that this, would, this is what is marked as the official beginning of his preaching and teaching. He's already been working, he's already done miracles, he did a miracle at Canaan, Galilee. John kind of reveals to us that first year. The synoptics skip it, and they say, Essentially, they focus on this is the point where Jesus begins his official preaching, teaching, and healing ministry. Now, why do they do that? I don't know for sure. All I know is this, is that in, in the way that they desired that the Spirit of God worked through the writers to present the story, they focus on Jesus beginning in Galilee. And in fact, I'll have to go back on that. I, I can say I do know why, because Matthew reveals to us why. He tells us why it is that he focuses on Jesus beginning his ministry in Galilee. So we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. Uh, I think essentially two reasons for the change of location then. One, the ministry of John the Baptist, the herald, is finished. Now it's time for the king to officially take over. Because as we will learn in Matthew chapter 14, John doesn't come out of prison. He's taken into custody by Herod, and he does not come out. He dies there. He's beheaded there. So his ministry is over. His ministry is done. Additionally, what we find from John chapter 4, go ahead and turn there. Just, Just look over at the book of John. In John chapter 4, we find that the the ministry situation is changing, as I mentioned. So John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea. So again, that appears to be where he had gone to to do this work of ministry during his first year. And he went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So there's, there's a whole series of chronology and, and geography that happened as Jesus moves from Judea down, back down to Galilee. But it says there that he heard that the Pharisees knew that he was making more disciples than John. So two things happen. John gets thrown into prison, so his ministry is done. It's now time for Jesus to enter officially into it. Additionally, it is not time for Jesus to confront the Pharisees or to be confronted by them. Jesus had a perfect chronological understanding of how he was supposed to conduct his ministry that he was given by the Father through the power of the Spirit. And so we see a, a really a perfect blending of sovereignty and wisdom where Jesus says, okay, the Pharisees now are going to come after me. They hated John as we find all throughout the, the Gospels. They hated him and really wanted to kill him. They couldn't. We find three years later, they weren't even willing to cast any kind of doubt on John's ministry for fear that the people would kill them. That's how strong John's ministry was. Well, Jesus' ministry is now starting to take precedence over that, So, and now that John is in prison, the natural result is that the Pharisees will take their guns and focus them on Jesus, which could result in a premature arrest, a premature trial, those sorts of things. So again, in this perfect blending of sovereignty and, and the use of wisdom and the understanding of the times and the circumstances, Jesus says, it's now time to change my location. Now, he's clearly, someone said, well, it says withdraw. 
withdrawal can kind of sound like, well, maybe he was afraid of something. He's stepping back. No, the withdrawal here is just remove himself from one place to another. He certainly wasn't afraid of Herod. We know that particularly because Galilee was ruled by Herod as well, right? So the area of Judea where he was, that, that was where Herod was and in Nazareth. But moving himself to Galilee didn't take himself out from underneath Herod's direct governmental oversight. And additionally, Jesus feared no man. Withdrawal is not because he somehow was afraid that things would happen that he couldn't control, simply that he knew that it was the right time to leave, to go to another area of ministry so that he might accomplish the work God had given him perfectly. Right? Mark 1.14 reveals the same thing. And now John, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. So Jesus withdraws into Galilee. Jesus leaves Nazareth. Right? And when John and Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum. Now, again, if you follow the chronology, what happened was Jesus was in Judea, right, or, or in those regions. He hears that John has been taken into custody. He then changes location. As he does so, he moves from Judea back down to Galilee through Samaria. And that's where we have the story of the woman at the well. But after he goes through Samaria, he then goes back to Nazareth, and there's a very interesting confrontation in the synagogue in Nazareth, and we're not going to talk about that this morning, right? We'll, we'll get there later. That's why it says he left Nazareth. It's not t- He'd already left Nazareth many times, or certainly several times. It was no longer his direct home base, but he went back to Nazareth, but he didn't stay there. Really, remember, that's where he, he came. That was his hometown, as it were. He, ne- he then resettles, the text tells us, into Capernaum, which is by the sea. Luke 4.14 says, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as he was, it was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Again, very fascinating thing happens there as he confronts the people, as they are, are not at all impressed with his ministry. They try to kill him there, and then he leaves Nazareth, and he settles. Our text here tells us, and really the chronology from Luke and then from John, he now settles and begins to establish his home base in Capernaum. And it says, the, our text tells us, that Capernaum is by the sea, and that would be by the Sea of Galilee, really a lake, an inland freshwater lake, it says, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, there's a reason that that is mentioned, that, that this is the region, right? Because he's going to link that to prophecy. Now, if I can, we'll see if this works. I'd like to show you, give you a bit of the picture of, of this chronology, because it's kind of hard to get it in your head. So we'll see. We have something there. Um, we'll see if I can get my airplay back on. And we will. I'll try to take you, if I can, to the Sea of Galilee to show you the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So we'll see if this comes on here in a moment. Might not get it. Uh, just idea, do you know if that's on sanctuary? The the uh, the Apple TV there. Let's move it to settings, and then go down to AirPlay. Or oh, right, actually, yeah. Let's see. All right, it's on. All right, go back one more. I'll hit menu again. Go to general. Go to network. All right, says it's on that. All right, so we'll try this one more time. Go to mirroring. It all worked perfectly before we began. That's usually how that goes. All right, so now hit menu again. And we'll see if we can get back to 
where it will actually mirror for me. Looks like it's going to happen. If I try one more, well, I don't know if that will work. Uh, it says it's supposed to work here. Nope. All right, do one more thing. Uh, just unplug it and turn it back on. Or just, uh, yeah, unplug it from there. And we'll move on in our lesson, and then we'll see if we can come back to uh, the nifty PowerPoint to show you about where Zebulun is, where, where Zebulun is, where Naphtali is, where the Sea of Galilee is. Do you have to have that in order to understand the text? Well, no, but it certainly is helpful to see the geographical progression since I'm spending so much time on it. Nonetheless, you're going to have to see it in your head. All right, Sea of Galilee is in the northern part of Israel. It's up above Jerusalem and Judea. It is a little bit to the, uh, it's a little bit to the east and north of Nazareth, where Jesus, uh, where Jesus grew up. And uh, now it's where Jesus has gone up from Judea, up to Nazareth, and over to the Sea of Galilee. You can see all that in Israel in your head, the picture that you have. All right, well, let's go back to our text uh, and see if we can pick up uh, where we left off. And yeah, we can turn it on and see if we can get anything out of it. I'll do my airplane one more time when you get that up. So, all right, so why does, well, let's, let's learn a little bit then about Capernaum. All right, so what is it? What's, what is the, the city here? Uh, John MacArthur says Capernaum, the village, probably means, it probably means village of Nahum, right? And might have been named after that prophet, right? It, but in, in Jesus' day, it was a flourishing, prosperous city. Now, interestingly enough, in Capernaum, that's where Matthew had his tax office, right? So Matthew was writing this gospel. That's where he was a tax collector. And that's, Jesus calls him, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus calls him from sitting at his tax booth in the city of Capernaum. The city probably had about 10,000 people strong. Now, Galilee, the region where Capernaum is, and essentially the re region where Jesus grew up, with Nazareth being on kind of the far end of the region of Galilee itself, it's about 60 miles long, north and south, is about 30 miles wide. The area around the lake is, uh, was reputed to have as many as 2 million people in the time of Jesus' day, and it essentially was the breadbasket of Israel, the breadbasket of Palestine. That's where they grew most of their crops. The soil was fertile, the lake provided lots of fish, there was a lot of rainfall that happens in that area around the lake. And uh, the Jewish historian Josephus says that this area was thoroughly rich in soil and pasture. It produced every variety of tree, inviting in, in productivity, even those who had the smallest inclination for agriculture. It, it was everywhere tilled and everywhere productive. So this was one of, the, one of the primary agricultural areas of the nation of Israel. Now, what we also learn about Galilee is that it was a famous trade route. And really, it was much more cosmopolitan. There would have been much, a lot more interaction between cultures, between peoples there in Galilee. Judea and Jerusalem, they were considered, as far as relationship to the other nations, kind of backwards. That's where the pure Jews lived. That's where those who didn't have much interaction with the Hellenistic world, with the Greek world, with, with trade and things like that, that's where they lived. Well, in Galilee, they would be considered a little bit more with it, I guess you could, you could say. Right? And so it was there that Jesus begins his ministry, but along with that, as it were, all of that influence that they had from other nations and the trade and the cultural exchanges, well, what also happened was there was a lot of influx of Gentiles. It's called in our text, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so the Galilean Jews, there were many, there would have been many non-Jews living there, as well as, and there had been recently an influx of more Jews into that area, but they would have been looked down upon as really the you know, the second level Jews, you interact with all of these pagans. You are interacting with all the Gentiles, and so you are a second level. You are not pure like the Jews of Jerusalem or the Jews of Judea. And so it is, it is absolutely no mistake at all that Jesus begins his ministry here. He begins because this is where Jesus always began. He always began with those who were considered the lowest, with those who were considered the least worthy. 
And he does that even within the nation of Israel. Remember that Jesus comes and his first, really his mission is to his ethnic people. It is to the Israelites. And yet even when he comes, and he comes with them, and essentially Jesus, that was all he, those those were all, all the people that he ministered to. His mission was to minister to his ethnic people. The disciples then take that and expand it out, but Jesus didn't. In fact, even when he sent them out, as we'll follow through the book of Matthew, he said, you're not supposed to go to any of the towns of the Gentiles. Right? You are supposed to minister to the nation of Israel, minister to, the, to my ethnic people. But even within that, Jesus picked the lowliest. We already saw that, he was, he, that Matthew brings out the prophecy that he was called a Nazarene in a backwater city, a backwater town, considered that nothing good could come from there. Well, Galilee was the same way. And so Jesus comes and he begins his ministry. And I believe that's why Matthew focuses on it why Luke and Mark both focus on it, that Jesus came to those whom everyone would have expected him to ignore. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the Sola and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online, and we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King, and the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.